life with One Nations being the only consistent political party for the last 20 years. They're not talking about you. Right. Well, let me tell you, One Nation is talking about you. It's like the media's run away from One Nation. They're too scared to ask us any questions, mainly because we're straight talkers and we've got the answers. This is like a call to arms. You guys need to start making the real decisions and who you're going to vote for. All right, welcome to another episode of The Ex-Candidates. Uh, I'm Stephen Tripp. I'm here with Adam Zara again, and we are very privileged to have Senator Roberts with us today. Steve, uh, welcome aboard. He's just Thanks, been speaking Adam. at the Freedman Conference here in Sydney. We've got 15 minutes with him, so it's going to be rapid <laughs> fire. But I just want to say, you speaking today, addressing the minor parties issue, that was the best I've ever seen you speak. Thank you. Now, one of the issues that you raised, you were actually addressing the Liberal Party, and this is one of the things that I was going on about during my campaign, because I was in Moringa, mm -hmm. and in the Liberal Party's own words, they were saying that they were in a civil war because of the... Internally. Yeah, internally, yeah. because of their uh, you know selection process for candidates and and that sort of thing. And I was trying to really get to the Liberal Party uh, membership and, and that, that are so rusted on and say to them, the Liberal Party's moving away from yep. you. The, you know, they're, they're not representing you anymore, but they just wouldn't budge. You brought up some, uh, you, um, some comments about that, about the Liberal Party. It doesn't really represent what no. it used to No, what's happened in this country is that, as, as I said in there, there are two things missing. They don't make decisions based on data. So that means they make decisions based on looking after their vested interests, their mates, um, subjective opinions, uh, ill-informed newspaper headlines to just get votes. And they wreck the country in the process. There's no evidence for many of the policies they have actually put in place. So what they do is they rely on the media to push them in that direction. And the media, and so they've ended up now with policies that are almost identical to the Labor Party. You saw me. I asked yeah, everyone in the was, room, yeah. hundreds of people in the room, Name a difference between Labor and Liberal, and no one could. No. And, the Lib and the Liberal MPs can't either. So that's the first thing. The second thing is they don't, not everything can be measured, so you can't use data to make everything objective. But then you resort to, to values, and they've completely abandoned their values. And, and um, Amanda Stoker had the courage to say that mm. today. You know, she didn't quite say it, but it, it was implicit and it was very clear. So that's, that's what's happened. But what, what ha there is, there's a negative to it because some people have to vote Liberal or Labor. They can't vote anything else. But if you notice, when I was a, a child, I mentioned that I think it was about 45% voted Liberal, 45% voted Labor. And that's come down 40% over the decades, 35%, 30%. In the 2019 state election, uh, Queensland, sorry, Queensland Senate election for the federal parliament, Labor got 22% of the vote. Mm. This time we've got a Labor government with just 33% of the vote. Uh, sorry, 32%, yep. less than a third. We've got a third of the population, voters, now voting for someone other than the LNP or the Labor Party. So we're making progress, but the Liberal Party has, has shot itself in the head. There's no future while it keeps well, going. What's it going to take? Because I, I was a Liberal voter for a long time <laughs> until you know they took my job away from me and I can't vote for them. I can't vote for the Liberal Party in its current form. And that's why I've, I've yep. come over to One Nation because I was looking at what you and Senator Hanson were doing and you were always, as you said, evidence-based but also standing up for what the people really want and listening to the people and, and reacting to that. What's it going to take for voters to look at One Nation and say, hey, they're not just a minor party anymore. They have policies that could form a national, a, a solid national government. Yeah, how are we going to change, sorry, the Lib 
lab rhetoric. It's, it's already starting to, to decrease the vote. We know that. Yeah. Not starting, it's plummeting. Uh, their memberships are dropping as well. Um, people are not donating to the Liberal Party anymore. Um, quite a few of their major donors have abandoned them. I think what it's going to take is, is two things. First of all, uh, in terms of the Liberal Party, they won't go anywhere until they recognise where the rot started. And they won't recognise that rot because it's so hard to admit that John Howard was the one who caused this problem. Yeah. I'm serious. Yeah. You know, I know. And, and, we, we, well, I, I know I adored him. Like he was yeah, same here. Me too. Like me too. I was the same. Like, John Howard is the one I remember the he, most. He's the he's the the man who put in place when he he and John Anderson, the National Party leader, led the the uh, Liberal Labor Liberal National Party Anderson uh, Howard Anderson government. They put in place the renewable energy target, which is now destroying our key electricity sector. They put in place uh, the, the stealing of farmers' property rights, the rights to use the land that they bought. Property rights are sacrosanct to a liberal. There's nothing more, more important than life itself. That, that's all. Life itself and property rights, yep. number two. Vital for, for free enterprise, vital, vital for markets, vital for responsibility. Howard and Anderson trashed that. And I suspect, having talked to people in there, that it was really John Howard. The third thing is, it wasn't Kevin Rudd or Julia Gillard who put in place the first policy for, for a, um, an emissions trading scheme. It was John Howard. Mm. And so they really sold out the country. Now, I started... I didn't know that. He was a bit of a hero of mine. And, and, uh, and then I started doing the research into it. And I, found, I was stunned. And then in 2013 in London, he admitted in public... And at a lecture that he was the lecturer, um, he admitted that on the topic of climate science, he was agnostic. So he did all of this without Unknowing. any science. And, Unknowing. And, and, yeah, and yet we're told there's science behind it. There's bullshit. There's no science. So that's the first thing. The Liberals have to admit they've been going down the wrong track based upon news, newspaper headlines and just trying to do what they think will get them votes. Well, we just had three terms of the Liberal Party. I don't feel like we had a Liberal government no. at no. all. No. Yes. And, and the second thing is... We have got to be cleverer in what we do. Um, we've had policies, very good policies, but they've been fairly broad. The reality is that most people don't read them. So that was One Nation's policies? Yes, yeah, we, right, we've right. got policies yeah. that have been yeah. broad. They've been very solid and very good. And we had the book. Yeah, and, and, that, and they go beyond that. Yeah. The, the book's just some oh, of yeah. the policies. Yeah. But I think what we've got to do is show our vision for the country which my vision for the country is that Australia will have the world's highest standard of living. Yeah. Now, people might say that's ridiculous. Well, no, it's not. The United Nations has, uh, has released a report saying that Australia is the world's richest country in terms of basic resources. Yeah. So energy minerals, we're the world's largest exporter of gas and, and, uh, and the world's second largest exporter of coal, combined with the largest exporters of energy. Can you just touch on quickly uh, liquefied natural, natural gas? Yep. And... One Nation's policy about the ta changing the tax system to a more transactional um, yeah. tax yeah. system instead of If I can based. do that in a minute. So what we've got to have, the Greens and the Teals succeeded because they, they didn't have policies, they didn't have any rigour, everything they're doing, almost everything they do contradicts the data, the key policies contradict the data, they're telling lies. Yeah. But, mate, we'll look after you, we'll take yeah. care of your future. If you go to the Climate 200 website and you go to what we stand for, it's two paragraphs. Yeah, and, and, and there's nothing there. Zali Stegel, um, I put her on a spot twice <laughs> in, in, yeah. in, a, in a brief conversation with her and, and Pauline, and there, there's nothing there. No. There is nothing there of substance. And then we see other MPs saying, oh, we've got to do what Zali's doing. Well, there's nothing there. So, yeah. so what we've got to do is 
paint a positive picture. Remember, we came out swinging on liberty, how it's been, how it's been torn away from us in this country, basic human rights compromised, basic freedoms stolen. And so we were swinging on that, and, and, uh, and that was right. But we should have painted a positive picture with the data. The Greens and Teals painted a positive picture with bullshit. And I don't think that people felt the negativity behind being locked down and being just felt in safety. Not all people, not, not, no, not straight away. I, I, I think, Adam, that they did feel that, but they were like, I've had two and a half years of this, I yeah. can't take any more. Okay. And here come the Greens and say, we'll look after yeah. you, mate, with the unicorns down the bottom of the garden, Free you know, our futures. So. Free this. <laughs> so Most the... people tend to forget, like, one of, the, one, one of the strengths of humanity is how we can adapt to things, but it's also a detriment as well, because yeah. you kind of just keep on moving with your life, and you kind of, like, we just saw a presentation by David Limbrick, and he was bringing up a lot of the things that happened during the pandemic that even I had forgotten about. Yeah. So... All these government, draconian government edicts that they placed upon us, you know, they've come off a little bit and everyone's kind of relaxed. We, we ten, it was only a year ago and we've already kind of moved on to the next thing. So Yeah, and, and some of the things, many of the things, there are 33 things that I listed that have happened for the first time in this country. If any one of those had happened, we would have been up, up really upset about it. Mm. But they just had one after the other quickly, rolled after the other, people were just swinging like that, and they just followed. You know, some, some people followed. Yeah. Uh, but when it comes back to tax, um, at the moment, the, the Menzies Liberal government in 1953 brought in legislation that enabled companies to not be double taxed. That's enabled them since 1953. 1953 um, Jim Kalali, who was the Deputy Commissioner of Taxation, has said, has said that 90% of Australia's large companies are foreign-owned and since 1953 have paid little or no tax. And he is absolutely correct. That's coming from the ATO office when he was an ATO deputy commissioner. And, and what we've got to do is recognise that that came because of the Liberal Menzies. And, and then Bob Hawke, with the PRRT under the Labor government in the 1980s, introduced the PRRT changes, which enabled export of northwest shelf gas with basically no, no tax ever to be paid. So what we have to do is recognise that they use transfer pricing um, and to avoid tax. So what we've got to do is say, no, forget all the bloody rules. If you produce this much gas, you'll pay this much tax. Yeah. A tax on the, on the volume or the number of, of units you produce, so units like of natural gas. a value kind of tax? Um, I don't know that it goes into that, but a set limit that just says for every cubic metre of gas you, you produce, you pay this much tax. So basically with our liquefied natural gas... We, I think we make 300 million in tax per year. I think we should be making billions. Yeah, whereas Qatar is the second biggest, and we're the, we're the biggest producer, yeah. uh, ex exporter. Qatar is the second, and they make 26 billion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so imagine we could pay off our, we could pay back our debts, we could improve our healthcare systems, we could give back to the Australian people. And this is realising the Australian dream and then making it achievable for people. Yep. And also cutting tax rates. Yes. Look at the cost of living pressure. Yeah. Why should, yeah. Basically what we're doing, Adam, is we're, we're paying for the infrastructure, the education, the police force, the defence, security, a um, lot of the, lot of the, uh, the, the infrastructure that's needed for the North West Shelf gas facilities, the physical infrastructure. We're paying for that yep. and they're paying no tax yep. or hardly any tax at all. So we should be cutting the tax on families and small businesses and getting them to pay their fair share of tax. And we would pay back the debt. Because where's the dividend for the Australian investor? Because I actually call the taxpayer the Australian investor. Yep. Because we're investing in our future, our country, for yep. our children and future generations. 
where's our dividend? Imagine if we were actual proper shareholders and they returned a negative dividend. Yep. You would be off the board. Well, you've raised the most important point of all, Adam, because the Constitution is structured so that we, the voters, the citizens, are in charge of this country. But what's happened is the governments, Liberal, Labor and Nationals, and the Greens, remember they were in power with Gillard, they've reversed that. Now, instead of the government serving the people, the people are serving the government. And we should be on top of that saying, no, we will hold you accountable. Do you think people realise that? No. Do they realise They obviously don't understand separation of powers and why we have that. They don't, they don't understand that government really is only what the masses agree to. And at the end of the day, you know, the government is there to serve the people. And every time I know you make a speech in, in the Senate, you always address the fact that you're a servant to the people of yep. Queensland and yep. Australia. Because you essentially That's are a public role. servant. Yeah. Yeah. That, well, I am a public servant. Yeah. I'm a servant to the public. So that, that's exactly my role. Um, now, that they don't do what the people say, but they, they put forward proposals or policies or position statements that the people then make a decision on and say, if you get into power, you'll do these things, so we vote you rather than the other party. Then they don't do it. Yeah. So that's the key thing. So the next time, the voters say, well, last time you lied to us, we'll vote for someone else. And what we've got to do is more than a third of the people voted for someone other than Liberal Labor Nationals. We've got to get more and more people to do that, uh, and we've got to get people to wake up to the Greens. And we have to show them that One Nation is the next viable option, the next real option, the next real powerhouse in, in, in Parliament. It should we, be the we third know that. major we know party. That. It's the third yeah. major party. Well, I would actually say it's the second party. Right. Because Liberal and Labour are the, the same. same. So yeah. we, that's the reality. Yeah. We are the real choice yeah. uh, and, and we're the second party because the other two are just combined. Another thing that you brought up today in your speech was the bureaucracy. Yeah. How much they're paid? Can you just... Yeah, sure. Uh, this, this is stunning. Uh, the Prime Minister gets about 535, it might increase since then, $535,000 a year. Um, at the time, this was 12, 18 months ago, the lowest paid federal department secretary was on about 650. Some of the people in charge of agencies and departments are on 800, 900,000. The chief executive of the CSIRO, who has been misleading us and misrepresenting climate, yep is on one million and forty nine thousand dollars a year and think about how many and his, years. Se his second in charge is on six hundred and thirteen thousand and how many years do people have to a normal person have to work to get that sort of Ten money years to make well, at least the head of the abc i think i may be wrong on this one is around a million nine hundred thousand maybe um but what they're doing is the csiro stealing money from us to put forward a case and the csiro has never presented the evidence for the climate rubbish which is yep. driving the energy policies which are destroying the country they're stealing money from us under false pretenses presenting something as it is not is called fraud yep. right so they're, they're taking money from us taxpayers mm. who are now being belted with energy prices the ABC is misrepresenting it and propaganda and using propaganda instead of science instead of accurate truthful reporting so they're taking money from us too and yep. paying their their head I think 900 thousand to a year, uh, a year to a million um, and we're paying the money out of this and just then we're talking about tax a minute ago if you're earning the median income of about fifty one thousand you're probably paying well every across the across the whole across the whole country the average household extra money for s subsidies on renewable and excuse me 
for subsidies on renewable energy. This is not the component of electricity that they cost. That's even more. Just the extra component for the subsidies of renewables is $1,300 per family per year. If you're on 51000 what would you get after tax? 41, 42, 42, okay. $1,300 a year for bullshit is terrible. $1,300 a year for anything is, is, is tight. That is year. a highly regressive tax. Yeah. As, a, as, a, as a component of um, Canon Brooks's salary, that's nothing. No, it, it, it wouldn't even blink. But as a, as a component of someone on $42,000 a year, that is frightening. That's a, that's a lot of money. And, that, and that's, that's Christmas presents. That's, that's, that's a, a Christmas dinner even. Yeah, that's going to the football. football. And, and that, that, that just so many things that they can't do. And yep. whose pockets is that money going to? Well, Cannon Brooks, billionaires basically, the Chinese Communist Party, and most of our wind and solar large uh, investments, um, malinvestments we call them, um, are foreign owned. Now I know you have to I've go, to go but yeah. one yep. quick question because people are interested. The Trusted Digital Identity Bill, where is that? Standing in Where Parliament is it in Parliament at the moment? At the moment? Yeah. That was meant to be my question, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. I don't care. It's, no, no, it's we're all question. good. Yeah, yeah. Um, we don't know where it is. The Liberals uh, introduced it into the awareness of, of uh, representatives. Um, we forecast that they would not dare bring it in before the election. We were right. Um, we thought that they, whoever won it, doesn't matter. Liberal, Labor, they, whoever won the election would bring it in very quickly. So we don't know any, any more than that. Um, we kicked up such a fuss that people are very wary, very wary yeah. of it. Can that, it be stopped? Yes. Okay. And that's the amazing, that's the beautiful part about what we're calling the minor parties is that you can see a bill come into into play yeah. and raise awareness so that the people around the around the nation can see that it's there. Well, the Liberals tried to ban cash. Yeah. The Labor Party supported them until we raised hell about it, and then they were both tail between legs and ran. Yeah. Anyway, better go. Yeah. Thank you very much for being candidates. Hope we can be candidates again in the future. We will be. We will, yeah. Good. Yeah. We will be. All right. Thank Thanks, you very Steve. much. Thanks, Thank Adam. you very much. Awesome. Great. Good to see you. Well, first of all, thank you very much for attending, and thank you to the conference organisers. We will give you a... I will give you an interpretation... Uh, why this should not be called the minor parties session because I think that's a misnomer the real session should be something about democracy or governance or security because we don't have a choice at the moment the liberal labor duopoly are pushing the same bullshit and so what I want to do is take you through a positive journey are there any federal MPs state MPs that I need to acknowledge Limbrick isn't it David Limbrick Thank you for what you've been doing, by the way. Thank you so much. It's important to know we're not on our own, and I really appreciate what you've been doing down in Victoria. So my vision is that Australia will have the world's highest standard of living. Some of you will be thinking, that's nonsense. We had the highest standard of living 120 years ago in this country. The world's number one in terms of income per capita. We now have the people. The education system is letting them down, but we still have the people. We have the entrepreneurial skills, the attitude, the work ethic. We have the Judeo-Christian belief and philosophy. We have principles of Western civilization. No matter they're being eroded, we still have them here. We have the resources. We have the climate. We have the climate that enables us to grow just about anything, anytime in this country. 
we have the soil, we have the, we have the water, hopelessly mismanaged, but we have the water. We, have the world's, we are the world's largest exporters of energy beyond the Middle East countries. We are the world's largest exporters. Yet we can't use those same resources here. And the same resources here in terms of natural gas are the highest priced in the world. Why? Why? Is that a valid question? Yes. So we also have a huge market above us, the world's biggest market. And they're crying out for, for clean food, clean minerals. We also produce some of the world's best metals. China would be stuffed without us. We have enormous potential. What's the one thing we're leaving, losing? We have wombats leading us. Thank you. Leadership. That's what we're missing. The United Nations says in a report recently that we are the world's richest nation. Does it feel like it? No. No, it doesn't. So as I said, we were number one 120 years ago, 100 years ago. And we are now 21st and falling. So I've said that I would prefer to call this the democracy or governance section because instead of having a duopoly, what we need is a second choice. Not the second choice, but a second choice. We need an alternative. We need a real choice. We don't have a real choice. Name for me anything different in policies between the Labour and Liberal Nationals. Come on. There is none. There is a slight difference in parties. In the Labour Party, it is no dissent. Correct, David? They're just told what to do. In the Liberal Party, they're also told what to do. But we have a few who will stand up. The Jared Rennicks, the Alex Antics. That's the only difference between those parties. You can see I feel quite upset about that or angry about that. Tim Wilson today was speaking about the future of the Liberal Party. Amanda Stoker was speaking about the future of the Liberal Party. Amanda talked about values and good honour, and she's sincere in that. They both neglected the fundamental flaw in governance in this country. And that is that policies, decisions are not made on data. Mm. They're not objective. They're made based on getting headlines, getting votes, getting emotions moving, stirring up the population. They're, they're based on satisfying vested interests, looking after the globalist agenda. People in the Liberal Nationals and the Greens and the Labour Party are told how to vote in Parliament. They don't have to do their homework. So what we've seen, and we also saw Amanda acknowledge that the climate policies that brought her undone, among many of the issues, were settled for 10 years ago. Not by, not by Scott Morrison, 10 years ago. Well, I'd go further. They were settled in 1996, when the Howard Anderson government, you know what I'm talking about, sir, the Howard Anderson government supported this bullshit on climate. And I say bullshit advisedly because John Howard brought in the renewable energy target, correct? Yes. His government stole farmers' property rights as a way of, of complying with the UN's Kyoto Protocol. His government was the first to put in place a policy of an emissions trading scheme. Not right. John Howard. And six years after he was booted from office, John Howard admitted in London at, a, at an annual lecture in 2013 that all of this, he was agnostic on the climate science. 
There is no basis for this. I can go into that at another time. But Josh Frydenberg, Zesta Zelja, Tim Wilson, all lost their seats and others because they caved into the teals instead of putting a debate on, with the teals. That's fundamental. They just caved. So I don't see a future for the Liberal Party because until they provide themselves as an alternative real voice to the Labour Greens, they're not having any future. Can you see my point? Yes. So that, that's why I say the title should be one of governance or democracy or security, because think about this point. I had a speech <coughs> that I'll read part of it in a, in a minute, but I couldn't resist these notes. <coughs> think about security. The Chinese watched the Liberal Labour sellout, and they have watched our sellout for the last 40 years, actually 78 years since the formation of the UN. 78 years of watching us kowtow to the UN, selling out our governance, selling out our sovereignty. And the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, are bullies. What does a bully do? It picks on the weakest, thank you. And what we've seen is we'll sacrifice our Western values that are the secret of our success, we'll sacrifice our laws, we'll sacrifice our sovereignty, we'll sacrifice our governance, in the name of what? A globalist agenda. That's quite clear. So they see us as weak, we won't even stand up for ourselves, and the CCP looks at us like we are weak because we are. And during the COVID overreach, the tyranny, the real choice parties, the reality parties, the LDP, the UAP and One Nation stood up, along with many others, I'm up and others. But we still got a lot of education to do, David, and I hope you don't mind me saying this, but we had a lot of LDP voters preference the Liberal Party second. How can the LDP voters do that? I mean, you're scratching your head, you're wondering why. I, I did a video about it and everything. <laughs> <laughs> and Topher, when he does a video about it, it's very accessible. So let me read some comments here from my prepared speech. During the recent election campaign, Anthony Albanese spoke frequently of his plan. It appears Australia misheard. Anthony Albanese actually said, plane, after plane, <laughs> after plane. <laughs> At no time, at no time, did the media ask Anthony for his plan and at no time was the plan forthcoming. Never. No scrutiny. The media is, is culpable. There's an old saying, follow me or lead me, follow me or get out of the way. Anthony Albanese has no leadership skills so far that we have seen. The harsh reality for One Nation amongst other parties is that leadership in this recent election came mostly from the Teals Party and the Greens. But think about their leadership, what they offered. They offered rainbow-coloured unicorns down the bottom of the garden. That's what they offered. It was nothing of substance. I mean, Adam Bant was seen in a TikTok video for, for the Greens, the leader of the party, looking with a vacant look on his face, and a big dancer dancing behind him with a, on top of Parliament House. That was it. No substance, but it's a very important point. They gave people some sense of security that we will look after you in your future. We will take care of you. No, no substance, but people fell for it. After two and a half years of tyranny, contradictions, absurdities, hypocrisy, and attack, that's all people wanted. 
So we failed because what we did was tap into, um, we didn't fail, but we, we, we could have gone better because we have an inherently uh, strong and positive vision for the country, but we didn't talk about that. We talked about why we need to restore freedom in this country. That's pretty basic, but it didn't appeal to people in, in the sense of appeal to a very strong constituency, but not to everyone. So the, the Greens had a vision of a zero emission economy with no understanding amongst the people of what that involved. And that was painted with rainbows and unicorns, and that caught the imagination of Australians, not because it stands scrutiny, but because it was never scrutinised. And because we had the Liberals and the Nationals and the Labour Party endorsing the Greens and the Teals. We all saw that, didn't we? So this is a mistake, and we're not going to let, let it be allowed to repeat. We live in an age, as several speakers have commented here, where feelings are the new facts, and facts are... Conspiracy theories. <laughs> and I refuse to believe in the new normal. So today I'm going to give you a glimpse into my vision for Australia, which is, the, um, which is in the discussion stage today. It's not yet policy. It's an attempt to start a debate on ideas. As Tim Wilson said, politics is a debate on ideas. We don't have that in this country. We have a, a, a debate on dreams. We're actually not even having a debate. So let's start with something pretty basic. The laws of economics have not changed over the last 50 years. The degree by which economic theory informs monetary policy has changed. The result of ignoring the laws of economics has been a return of the curse of the 70s, stagflation, high inflation, and a stagnant economy. This outcome was predicted. I spent the last two years of Senate estimates and Senate speeches warning the Reserve Bank and the Treasurer that inflation would result from profligate government spending funded by debt and quantitative easing. It's another phrase for money printing. More than half a trillion dollars has been created out of thin air and used for nothing more than economic sherbet. And don't rely on me. I asked the Deputy Governor of the, of the Reserve Bank of Australia, Guy de Bell, if that was the case, and he said yes, but there were electronic journal entries. The money was created in electronic journal entries, not journal entries, as I suggested. In 2016, I asked John Fraser, the then Treasury Secretary, exactly about the consequences of the quantitative easing, which everyone denied was going on. But when you look at the money supply, it was happening. His first response was to ridicule me, saying, well, we don't pay any attention to M3, it's old-fashioned. Well, really? Second time, three months later in Senate Estimates, well, you've got a point. Third time, a few months later, he admitted to me in front of everyone in the Senate estimates, actually, we have been concerned, we don't know why it's not happening. These experts have to be held accountable. The government and the Reserve Bank refuse to accept my warning. They maintain projections for inflation and related key indicators that were not so much rosy as delusional. I asked questions about inflation to the Reserve Bank governor, Phil De uh, Phil uh, uh, and and, and here, here he was, he gave an inflation estimate of 2.5% to 3.5%. It was already 5%. And America was around about 8 So it's time for an end to the Ponzi scheme, Pon Ponzi population scheme as well, so let's move on to that. Each of the ideas being raised today are possible by restoring employment-based immigration rather than housing-based immigration. We don't, want we don't want immigration to prop up the housing market, which is in a bubble right now. We want real future and present jobs. 
When politicians speak about rising incomes, they speak of average income. However, the obscene salaries being paid to the big end of town and to medium level and senior level bureaucrats in this country is included in the calculation of average income. The lowest paid federal department secretary is on about $650,000. The prime minister is on $100,000 less. Some of these bureaucrats are up to a million. The head of the CSIRO, who misrepresents the climate science, is on $1,049,000 package every year. And he's deluding us. So these incomes have risen so fast that it drags up the figure for average income, making it appear as though everyday Australians are sharing in the bounty of growing income, when in fact, they're not. A better gauge is median or middle income. This is the point where as many people earn more or less. Over the last 30 years, the median income of everyday Australians has not increased in real terms, meaning after inflation. The latest ABA, ABS data has median income at just $51,400, while average income is $89,000. The lifestyle afforded by two very different incomes is chalk and cheese. 50% of Australians are earning less than $51,400. Electricity prices have gone skyrocketing because of policies from John Howard, John Anderson, and every Liberal, Labor, and Greens politician since then. Every one of them. Energy costs are a frightening, regressive tax on the poor. Electricity is not a luxury. It is an essential good. And yet it's a huge proportion of people's cost of living today. And it's not just the cost of living that families pay. It's the, it's the economic suffering of small businesses when their customers have less disposable income, when they have to raise prices on top of that because of the transport costs and all the flow-on costs of electricity. Electricity prices are the, one of the fundamental markers of productivity. The lower energy costs go, the higher the productivity, the higher the prosperity, the higher the wealth. We have reversed the key to human development in the last 170 years. Human progress has been smashed We've gone down that way in electricity prices for the last 150 years, and we've trebled them in the last, three, in the last two decades. Insane. If everyday Australians feel they are working harder and going backward, it's because they are. So the challenge for a government of the people, for the people, is to restore the share of wealth accruing to everyday Australians without resorting to socialist wealth redistribution which in the end only succeeds in destroying everyone's wealth. Government in this country has become a vehicle for transferring wealth. That's what it is. I see it day in, day out. Transferring wealth, and it sickens me. Okay. There are three areas I'd like to just mention some policies in. Cost of living, security, and the future. Our future, how we'll live in the future. Some that I've just, before I go to a list, I will just mention a few key points. We need to restore the security of people's right to use property. That is fundamental. It is fundamental to responsibility. It is fundamental to freedom. It is fundamental to liberty. It is fundamental to human progress. It is one of the cores that must be put back in place. Farmers have lost their rights to use their land. They paid for the land and they've lost the right to use it. They have to get permission from a bureaucrat to use it. Secondly, we must have small central government. Small government in, in general, but central government especially. 
our constitution was set up in some ways modeled on the American constitution where we have competitive federalism. Wonderful. We have a marketplace for, a co for governance. We trashed that. We moved so many things into the central sphere. We need tax reform. Absolutely vital. We need tax reform immediately and we need comprehensive tax reform that will take longer. We need infrastructure investment. We need to have a debate about the national electricity market. It is a national electricity racket, not a market, because the bureaucrats di dictate what happens in that, in that so-called market. But above all, we must get government out of people's lives. We must restore liberty, and we must restore choice. Because markets, I mean, are you going to trust a, a bureaucrat in Canberra to tell us what we need to do in the future, how we should spend our money? Or are you going to trust millions of hearts and minds that say, that's what I want, that's my choice? Who's right? Always the market. Australians are going in the opposite direction. More bureaucracy. Instead of going to individual choice, we're going to massive, centrally, globally central government. United Nations and World Economic Forum. That's the reality. And after the last two years, can you see that? So, how many minutes, Pope? Um, another two. Okay. Let's just touch on some of the topics. Energy, when it comes to cost of living, energy, electricity prices, gas. Pauline proposed a gas bill in 2019 that we'll be resurrecting. Diesel and petrol. An Office of, Climates, Climates, uh, of, Sci Office of Scientific Integrity and Quality Assurance. Tax reform, immediate and also ultimate. Economic and financial management. We don't have budgets anymore. We have appeals for votes. It's no longer a three-year cycle, it's a 12-month it's a cycle. We want a people's bank that can be built on through the, uh, through the licensed post office of, of the Australian Post. We need banks to be under, under regulation again. That was a joke what we saw with the, the uh, Hain Royal Commission. That has been just whitewashed. And the commission was good, but the government has not enacted it. We need sensible workplace relations processes and systems that support small business, the largest employers. That support workers. Workers are being trashed right now under the Fair Work Act. We need debt to be repaid. We need small government and competitive federalism. We need a solution to the world food crisis because it's happening in this country as well. We need to restore people's secure, uh, restore and secure people's rights as Australians, including basic freedoms, freedoms of life, belief, thought, speech, association, exchange, travel. All have been trashed. Freedom of religion is being trashed. We won't need to ignore political correctness. We need to secure private property rights, the rights to use property, secure and protect national borders, immigration based upon quality as well as quantity of candidates. We need to restore national identity. Fundamental. There are two basic structures for human civilization, human organization, the family and the nation state. Both are being trashed by the United Nations and by liberal labor governments. We need proper veterans care. These people have given their lives for us, their livelihood for us. Health, we need to restore the basics of health. We need to restore bodily autonomy, informed consent, doctors' choices, doctors free to give us, give us their advice. We need to have cannabis available medically. We need to have citizens initiated referendum to put the, put the power back where it belongs, with the people. We need to have citizens initiated referendum, constitutional compliance, our constitution is being bypassed. We need a federal anti-corruption commission that protects the innocent as well as those who have been targeted. 
We need to have a proper defence and peace policy. A defence and peace policy. Not just follow the United States everywhere. We need a proper peace policy as well. We need a safety net for genuinely needy Australians and a living pension. We need voter identification and voter security. That is fundamental. We need to protect superannuants. We need to restore education instead of indoctrination in our country. We need to restore proper environmental protection and get that back to the states, get education back to the states and bring in charter schools and education, get, get the uh, health system back to the states. We need to bring in optional preferential voting. When it comes to infrastructure, I'll just mention a few. Water security, the iron boomerang, the national rail loop, all of these will pay for themselves. We need to protect our Aboriginal, Aboriginal constituents from the money-hungry Aboriginal industry that consists of whites and blacks, consultants, lawyers and practitioners stealing the money. We need to restore scientific integrity. We need to hold this ABC accountable. And if it can't be held accountable, sell it. <laughs> so I'm biased. Yeah. Above all, we need to tell the truth. Can I just finish here, Tom? One Nation sees a world where Australians are free to lift themselves up through their own hard work and enterprise, and with that, lift those around them. Government has never lifted anyone. Government has suppressed people. Family and community are the centrepiece of a One Nation society, not government. The government is the natural enemy of freedom. The need to shrink the government to fit the Constitution is a guiding principle for people in One Nation. The outcome from our economic discussion plan is simply abundance. I recently spoke in the Senate on this topic in a speech entitled, Abundance is Not a Dirty Word. In a world where predatory billionaires have their sights set on owning everything so we will own nothing, abundance is today a seditious concept. Can you see that? Abundance is power to we the people. Choice and liberty are key words. One nation will pursue abundance for everyday Australians. We have one flag, we are one community, and we are all one nation. I'm sorry to have to call time on you, Malcolm, but uh, we do have another esteemed guest uh, that I'll invite in just a moment, but I do want to make just a couple of quick comments. I had the privilege of spending a few days uh, strapped into a very small six-seater uh, twin it was easier for me. plane. It was easier for you. you. You feel a little bit easier for some strange reason. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> But uh, we, we explored all over the Murray-Darling Basin and landed more times than I can remember. Spoke to farmers, spoke to uh, some government consultants that had been sent in running a, one of their faux, one of their sham consultancies. Spent time with some of the Aboriginal elders and some of the communities there. And it was my absolute privilege to watch this man work. Absolutely phenomenal. And I've had nothing but admiration uh, for you ever since that trip. It's just deeply impressive. And what you heard there was Malcolm having to run through things very quickly because of time limits. But I can assure you that behind every one of those bullet points is immense and deep thought, commitment, and a genuine concern and care for what's happening. I don't necessarily agree with Malcolm and One Nation on every policy. Uh, we have enormous areas of agreement and some areas of disagreement. But I absolutely respect the work that Malcolm has put into every single policy position that he holds. So thank you. For being here.